So today on the podcast, I have Abby Hearn, who is the um, owner and lead photographer of the Hearns Adventure Photography. I came across Abby on through Instagram at least five or six years ago and uh, followed along kind of as I started getting my own photography business up and running um, and then continued to follow along with her story on social media. She became a mom uh, shortly after I became a mom. And uh, we've just kind of, I've stayed connected to to you through that. And then more recently, Abby started a subscription um, Instagram page to kind of dig more deep into certain topics with um, people who uh, are interested in doing that. And so that's how I connected with her and uh, invited her to be on the podcast today. But it's really like kind of a surreal moment for me because I feel like I've known you for a long time, but we've never actually talked. And so it's cool to have you on the podcast today. But I will let Abby introduce herself and then we'll get into things. Awesome. I'm so excited to be here. Um, thank you for inviting me and of dealing course. with my crazy schedule that you understand. Yes. Yeah, I'm super stoked to be here. I feel like so much of my social media presence is like creating real connections with other people. So it's very cool to have bridged this gap from that you've been following for so long and you know so much of our story and to now actually be like talking is really fun. But yeah, basically, I mean, you kind of introed it pretty well. My husband and I started our photography business, I think seven years ago now, which feels like maybe eight years. I don't know. I just lose count at this point. Yeah. Um, but we started our business in Texas, right. As I was finishing college. And I basically, when I graduated college, I was like, I'm going to give photography an honest effort for a year and see how it goes. And it has turned out (laughs) really well. And it's kind of informed our whole life and brought us to where we are now. We started our business in Texas. We're shooting bigger weddings and we really enjoyed that. But at the same time, we were taking these road trips out West and just really following in love with these bigger landscapes and, you know, how we felt in the desert and specifically Yosemite was really special to us at that time. We had gone there for our honeymoon and a few times before that. And so we started shooting like a low or first we started shooting engagement sessions out in these parks. We did an engagement session in Joshua tree. And then we did a few like in Mojave and Yosemite and we really loved it. And we started to think like, it would be really cool if people would get married in these places. And honestly, at the time, it's not like no one had gotten married in a national park before, but it just wasn't a thing on our radar at all. Um, it was well before adventure elopements kind of blew up and became what they are now. And so we had this one couple reach out to us and they were like, Hey, we know that you shoot weddings in Texas. You've done a few engagement sessions in the parks and I've seen your photos in these places. And we were just wondering, if we elope in the Redwoods, would you come shoot it? And we were like, hell yes. <laughs> yeah. We were so excited. And it was so sweet. Like the couple, they just had two of their friends, one of their friends officiated and the bride got dressed in their tent in the woods and it was just the most fun chill day and i remember after that callan and i were like how do we do this more like surely there's more people that want to do this and so i actually it's like the opposite (laughs) of what a traditional wedding day is like exactly and i was like like, (laughs) it was so cool because we had been shooting these bigger weddings in texas but one of the things that we did that was kind of unique in texas was 
I always, one, I like tried to block in at least 30 minutes of couples portraits, which was usually pretty long for like a Texas wedding day. And then during that time, I would try and be really efficient with the portrait so that the couple would have at least five minutes to just sit, not be photographed, not be Mm -hmm. harassed, not be on a schedule. And the funny thing about like what we do now is that it's insane to me that five minutes was something I had to fight for every single wedding day (laughs) for our couples. And so it was just so cool to, you know, see this experience where our first cup, our first elopement couple, Selene and Diego, like they had so much time, just the two of them, you know, even just hiking out to their ceremony spot, they were hiking a little ahead of all of us. And like, we were talking with their friends and they just got to have conversations together and like form memories together on their wedding day that weren't overwhelming. So after that, I pretty much, I was like, this is what I'm going to focus on. I really intentionally blogged their wedding day. I made sure like I did everything right with the blog post and It was kind of cool because it was just so early on in this industry or this niche that I was able to get to the top of like adventure elopement photographer kind of search engine stuff really early because there weren't other people ranking for that. So with their blog post, and then I started just taking everything else we had ever done that could qualify as like an adventure session or, you know, we take photos of friends and Joshua Tree and I would just blog those over and over And that was early 2016. So um, I did that and kind of just like really worked on that being our thing while we were still shooting weddings in Texas. And then I started on our Instagram, I would just post like the photos that looked like they could be adventurous. So it would be like Mm -hmm. at this Texas wedding venue, but I would take the couple to like where there's these vines growing on the wall and kind of put some vines in front of my camera and be like, it looks like we're in the woods, <laughs> even though we're in like downtown <laughs> Texas or downtown Houston. Um, and so, you know, I really tried to like angle that. And at the same time, we were starting to feel a little bit of like itchy feet about living in Texas. And basically, let's see, it was by the end of 2016 that we had decided to let our lease run out and hit the road full time. We had bought this like crappy little trailer that our friends called the adventure coffin because it literally like closed <laughs> down on us like a coffin. I've seen pictures um, of that. I can't believe you guys lived yeah. like slept in that. I can't either. It's so funny. Every and with a dog, like it wasn't just us. It was like us two and Charlie in a full size bed, like closed down on us. Yeah, we just were like, we're going to hit the road. We're going to see if we can make this happen. And our plan was literally to shoot three weddings a year and live on BLM land and spend as little money as possible and just see how long we could kind of pull it off. We were really young and energetic and we went for it. And I I had so much fun with it, like the blogging and Instagram. And I kind of got myself to where I was blogging twice a week and posting on Instagram every single day. And just really pushing this narrative of getting married outside. And I feel like, you know, in some ways, some of our couples in those early years were people that we inspired to do that, that hadn't been considering it before. And then some were people that found us through um, searching on Pinterest or Google, just being like, I don't want to have a big wedding. What do I do? And they'd find us and be like, this is what I want. Um, And yeah, by the end of 2017, it was huge. I mean, in 2017, we had shot... 55 adventure sessions and 30 elopements and we drove I think it was like 65,000 miles that year I think it was wild like Callan he clocked it and he had driven like enough to have had a part-time trucker job 
maybe full time. <laughs> I don't remember. It was a lot. It was we oh were gosh. very exhausted. Um, yeah, I bet. But it was awesome because yeah, we just really got to grow our business in this way, and like we were tired, and we were like, all right, this is not sustainable. We have to figure out like how to make this something we can do long term. But it was also awesome because it just built our business so quickly in a way yeah. that, you know, I think we were kind of ahead of this wave of this happening and we got to shoot in almost every state west of the continental divide and like build a huge portfolio wow. and gain a ton of experience in these places and kind of position ourselves as like the people doing the thing where yeah. we still like now I'm booking weddings with people that are like, like I've had multiple brides that have followed me since before they met their partner. Oh, and they're like, cool. when I met my partner, I was like, you know, <laughs> if we want to get married, I already have a plan. It's with the Hearns. Like we have had multiple people that are like that um, in the past two years. And it's like, those are the people that have been following us since 2017, 2018. And so, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's just we lived on the road, we lived in a van, then we got a camper, we started going to Alaska every summer um, in 2018. And kind of have slowly now settled down to where we're shooting just in Utah and Alaska and um, doing like little road trips to California. So it's funny, because our life is still like very travel based and adventure based. But to us, it feels really chill because we like wake up in a house and you have a, home have a shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like a child. <laughs> oh, it's so, so wild. Yeah, yeah, I remember uh, a few years ago, you know, you would get you would share questions that people asked and and or in your posts, you know, you would talk about things that people ask you guys and the question of like, are you guys going to have a kid came up and you'd always be yeah. like, no, like, I don't think that's, that's not, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> and then it was so exciting. Like when you did get pregnant and uh, now to see Hyder like joining in on your guys's lifestyle and you guys getting her out in the desert and like, you can just tell she, she just like fits in. She's, she's yeah. just made for this life that you guys have built for her. It's, it's cool yeah. to see the progression of everything. It's been so fun. I mean, I feel like we had so much fun before Hyder and now we're having so much fun with her. I and know. I, yeah, we love having her along and she is just, I mean, probably because we've been like, I mean, I, we drove to Alaska when I was pregnant with her, drove back. We drove to Alaska with her when she was six months old. Like she's been just doing it <laughs> her mm -hmm. whole life. So she doesn't know any different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so much fun with her and definitely a lot harder, but we really enjoy it. Yeah. I love that you share your outlook on parenthood and things being even more fun, you know, now with a kid and as she ages, because I think, well, I know I struggled a lot the first few months of, um, becoming a mom because I I didn't think that I would ever have kids. And so wasn't sure if I wanted them. And so my pregnancy was a surprise and then pregnancy with twins was a surprise. And so I feel like my whole pregnancy, I was still just trying to adjust to the idea of like, okay, you're going to be a mom now. And like the title of mom, I didn't, it didn't feel natural for me to like put that on. Mm -hmm. And then I struggled a lot. And granted, you know, part of this may have been because there were two of them, two newborns, but uh, I struggled big time with the loss of my time and the loss of my independence, you know, because when they're tiny and they're like 
on you all the time and relying on you for everything, it can feel a little bit suffocating. But I've really appreciated hearing your sort of philosophy on how, you know, things are challenging, but but they're only going to get better. And it's funny, like I, I struggled a lot in the beginning. And then now as they've started to get older, now I've started to mourn those early times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though they were so crazy and I have journals to prove that like it was n- not very <laughs> fun and like super challenging, it's like, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it's just like a natural thing, but we we mourn the loss of like our the previous versions of our children. And so mm-hmm. I've appreciated seeing your perspective on that and how, you know, reminding people who read your posts, like that things just get better. And like, yes, you know, those earlier phases are gone and that can be sad, but also what's to come is going to be even better. And so I really appreciated that perspective yeah. because I think I think it kind of helps shift my mindset into like a more positive one and like more forward looking. And even though those times that we had, like we won't get back, there's still so much more exciting, like positive things to come. Totally. I mean, I feel like one of the things that I tell every mom friend, and I think this is true for every person, but it's so clear when we have children that are changing so quickly, like every season of life is a season. And I think, like you said, like our culture focuses so much on either mourning the past seasons, like almost romanticizing the past seasons Mm -hmm. and saying how much you miss them and forgetting how hard they were. Mm. And then also romanticizing the future being like, it's going to be so much better when blank. And it's just hard because if we live our entire life that way, we're never enjoying the moment. Like Mm -hmm. what you're in right now is something that you will romanticize in a few years. Mm -hmm. And obviously that varies a lot. Like I will say I'm in a pretty rough period of like losing a lot of things in my life and like grief and all of that. And so I'm not necessarily going to romanticize that. But even in the midst of all of that, I have these really beautiful moments with Hyder and with my job and with my family and everything that I don't want to miss out on because I'm so focused on what's to come or what I miss from, you know, my past. And I feel like it's just something that, especially with kids, the seasons go so quickly. And I tell that to every friend that's like, look, the first three months are freaking hard. Like there is no way to like describe it differently, but there are so many beautiful little moments that you will kind of miss like even if I personally would never go back to like what it felt like postpartum like I don't want that feeling back I would not take that feeling back for anything but I feel like I do miss how tiny Hyder was and how easily she cuddled with me and how it felt when she fell asleep on my chest and all of those things that now that I have like a crazy almost 17 month old those are gone. <laughs> like, yeah, she is not cuddling. She's not like, she's not no. home. Um, so it is, you know, like you just you miss every little thing. But also, yeah, like what we're going through right now is so much fun. And it's more fun than anything we've done before. And I have faith that that's going to continue. And you know, I also like I know there's going to be hard times ahead. And people love to remind parents of that. Like if you talk to them, <laughs> I feel like since Hyder was born, every time I've told someone like, oh, I'm having a good time. They're like, oh, just wait, it gets terrible. <laughs> like, like I remember like, when why? she was two months old. I know. And I'm like, 
like when she was two months old, she was a really good sleeper out of the gate. And we got really lucky with that. And I remember telling someone that and they're like, oh, just wait for the four month sleep regression. Like you're never going to sleep again once she hits four months or something like that. Or they'd be like, oh, just wait till she's walking and you're never going to sit like you're going to be chasing her all the time. And I'm like, I can't believe how many people told me that as if it was a negative thing when it is so fun to have a kid walking. Like I, I love it. And I feel like, I don't know. I just, now when I tell people we're having fun, they're like, just wait till she's two and she starts talking back to you. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to love that. Like, (laughs) obviously there's going to be hard times, but I also love the idea of my girl learning to stand up for herself. So I don't know. I just feel like it's such a perspective thing. And obviously there are times for parents that just are really freaking hard. Like I can't imagine having twin newborns and it's okay if you like don't like every single moment of a certain stage, but also it just doesn't last that long. So yeah, you'll you're I about wonder, to have, have a lot of joy. <laughs> I always wonder what the aim is when people say that, like, oh, you just wait, it's gonna get so like, do they want validation? <laughs> you know, is it like them remembering how challenging it was for them, and so they want like validation of oh yeah, that must've been hard for you. I, I don't know. I'm like, what's, what's yeah. the point of of, tell, of scaring somebody? Like, and you know, part of it's like, I think they think they're preparing you, I guess, but what's the, what's the aim of that, of being like, oh, it's going to get so much worse. You just wait. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really do think so much of it is just self-validation. Like for yeah. the most part in the world, what people say reflects what they're feeling, not what mm-hmm. they want you to hear. And I yeah. feel like it really is so often that people, if they see us having a really good time with a kid and all they remember is struggling for that age, they just need me to believe that like one day it's going to get really hard for me too. And, you know, I think that's valid, but it's also just tough because it's like, they always pose it as doing you a favor. And I just don't think telling people to dread something in the future is ever helpful, especially if you don't have like advice for how to make it better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. It just causes unnecessary anxiety, especially if you're like anxiety prone, which yeah. I am. And I'm, yeah, totally a, a sponge to other people's anxieties. And so, yeah, being told right. that. And then I'm like, oh, oh God, I better like tense up and hold my breath because it's going to get terrible. But yeah, so I've totally. really appreciated your your positive um, like projection, <laughs> uh, you know, of like, <laughs> it's just going to get better. Um, and it, it has, I mean, geez, like, so my kids are two and a half and, um, it was funny, the example of, oh, you just wait till they start walking. When they started walking, everything got better because they got so much happier because they could finally move in the way that they wanted to. And I was so much happier because they could, hello, they can walk. I don't have to like lug around two children. Right. They can finally walk. So, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to say that, that it's, it's appreciated your I've appreciated your perspective on your positive spin on um, those things one thing you touched on just briefly that that I want to kind of expand upon is your daughter learning to talk and teaching her to stand up for herself and so I have a boy and I have a son and a daughter and that's been something that I am also looking forward to, part- I mean, with both kids, but particularly my daughter in regard to encouraging her and showing and like leading by example and teaching her how to stand up for herself. And one thing that comes to mind, which, you know, I know this has happened to probably every girl in this in this world, in this country, is 
being objectified by men as early as like toddlerhood. People, I think, do it without thinking, but saying like to your to you, oh, that little blonde haired, blue eyed little girl, you better watch out. Like one day the boys are going to come after her. And, um, you know, just like (laughs) it particularly happens to girls and objectifying them. Where this is leading me is teaching girls to be comfortable exercising their boundaries, both with things that are said about them, but particularly with their bodies. Because I think another thing that we teach young girls is sacrifice your feelings and your level of comfort for the comfort of other people, particularly men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something I've come up against already with my daughter, like people violating her personal boundaries, like tickling her if she doesn't want to be tickled, picking her up if she clearly doesn't want to be picked up. And I, as a woman and, you know, previously a girl raised in the society, have a hard time even even like standing up for her and and being like, hey, she's not comfortable. Like I find myself sometimes, which is like so shameful to even admit and I feel terrible about it, but like prioritizing the feelings of an adult um, who should know better mm-hmm. over my child and like having a hard time speaking up for her because she's still too young to speak up for herself. And being like, hey, you know, we're teaching her boundaries and she doesn't seem comfortable right now. So, so like, can you please not tickle her? And so I think it's, it's a a unique challenge when you have a daughter to teach her those boundaries. And I don't, and not at the fault of my parents, because I think they did the best they could, but I don't think I ever learned that, how to like guard my own boundaries when it comes to what I'm comfortable yeah. with and what I'm not comfortable with. So, and I know that's something that's important to you. So how, like, how do you, how do you see that issue? How do you, how do you teach Hyder to be comfortable guarding her own boundaries? Yeah. I mean, I feel like kind of what you were saying so much of it is us posing that as an example, which is so hard. And so I, hard. I've been in the same scenario, like where people, you know, ask her for a hug and she says no. And they're like, oh, come on. And it's Mm -hmm. like in my head, this little signal goes off of, I know I need to tell them if she doesn't want to hug you, don't ask her, you know, like respect that choice. But I'm also just like, keep the peace. And it's like, it's so hard. I feel like you have to almost like rehearse with yourself over and over. Like, this is what I'm going to say. And I've even considered like, this is something that really is on my mind a lot lately. And I've considered even trying to like kind of role play it with Callan just to see like how I can say things in a kind way that doesn't like totally disrupt the conversation, but does send a clear signal of like, Mm -hmm. if she doesn't want to hold your hand, she doesn't have to, if she doesn't want to be picked up, she doesn't have to, if she doesn't want to come greet you or or say goodbye, she doesn't have to, you know? And I feel like I, in a lot of ways, like we kind of have this benefit of, because we live so far from family, we don't spend a ton of time with family members. And I feel like often family members are the people that do push those boundaries because, you know, they want to hug from the kid that they love. And it's always like, or not always, but usually innocent. I just think it is important to start, you know, from such a young age to teach her that when she says no, she can say that and she can mean it. And to teach the people around her, if she says no, to respect that. But 
I mean, I, I think, yeah, it's so much about, you know, when she's young and she can't speak for herself as much for us to be the ones that stand up for that. And, um, to just be in tune with like our kids, what they're saying, what they want and speak for them when, when they can't. And then also, I do think a huge part of it is just our example. Like this is somewhat related, but you know, so often people refer to like little girls talking about their looks and how cute or pretty or how nice their dress is or something like that. Whereas with little boys, they'll often say, you know, like, oh, he's a climber. He's strong. He's mm-hmm. wild. He, he has so much energy. Like they describe things that aren't about how they look. And mm-hmm. that was actually something that, so I grew up with two older brothers and my dad was always super aware of people describing my looks. And he was always mm-hmm. really against that. Like he, he made such an effort all the time to always emphasize that I was a good leader or that I was good to my friends or um, like I remember at such a young age I would like arrange my little toys and talk to them and he would be like oh you would make an amazing teacher because of how you're you know hanging out with your toys today or something like that and I just feel like he was really serious about that like I growing up I always had really like super blonde hair that was really long and people would always comment on it and he would always kind of like push back against that. Like I remember Mm -hmm. at such a young age, him pushing back against the comments on my hair because he was just like, I don't want her to grow up thinking the best thing about her is her hair. Like, Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's so vain and so not helpful. And I don't know. I just feel like for me, thankfully, that wasn't a huge focus in my life. And I think a big part of that was because my dad was so adamant about me seeing myself as more than how I looked and more than how people immediately perceived me when I walked in a room or something. Well, I feel like Um, it's really important for men to to be part of that, you know, um, for your dad to do that. Because I I do feel like it's easier for men and it's like more acceptable for men to push back against that, you know, because like women Mm -hmm. are supposed to kind of be, you know, and not that this is right at all, but agreeable, you know. And so when when the man in a child's life you know, whether that's a father or otherwise is kind of in on that and can can step in and be and push back and be like, in whatever way that manifests, I feel like that's really helpful, first of all, um, and just totally. important to the little girl's confidence, you know, that that totally. a, the important man in her life, the the father figure in her life sees her as more than just an object that's pretty, um, but as right. strong and independent and smart. And yeah, like- absolutely. I think when and also, I mean, unfortunately, men tend to listen to men more. <laughs> so yes, I think if we're going to like, further this cause beyond I think you know so many women so many moms are already trying to like push this narrative and stand up for our daughters because we know the world that we grew up in and there's so many great men out there that just don't even know like they don't even realize why it could be damaging to just Mm -hmm. constantly comment on a little girl's looks you know and so I feel like for the men in our lives to be the people that stand up against that it kind of helps spread that message a little farther than you know, if it's just us speaking up. Right. Right. Yeah. Men being like an ally to the women in their lives in that way, I think is really important, which so if it's okay, I'd love to talk about your dad a little bit more. You were really open 
on Instagram about your dad's journey with his health and which was very generous of you and him um, because of course you did that with his permission. And I always, Mm -hmm. I think about the, I I know you've posted pictures of him and your mom having your Instagram projected up onto the TV and then like going through your post and reading. It's just the (laughs) cutest thing ever. Like, I love that they did that. And that, you you know, assuming your mom still does that, but are you okay with talking a little bit about your dad's experience and, and who he was? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, that joke that people say now where they're like, oh, if, you know, if this person has like one fan, that's me. And if they have no fans, I'm dead. Like, have you heard that? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like a thing. I don't know. I see it on like Twitter. Um, but anyway, I feel like I have always known that. I could like, if I continue posting, I could piss off every person in the whole world, but like my mom and dad will still follow me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and still like love what I share. And honestly, you know, there's so much, there's so much wrapped up in Instagram. There's so many like negative things about being on the internet. And I think anyone that's been in any sort of like influencer role can tell you that it's not all sunshine and butterflies. Um, and so there have been plenty of times that I have considered just like bailing from all of it and been like, you know what, I'm just going to live a happy life in the desert and not post anything. But truly what kept me coming back so much was the community and also just my parents, like I living States away from them. That's how they keep up with me every single day. Um, and so you know, especially when we first hit the road, that was just like their ritual was keeping up through my posts and my stories. And like you said, yeah, they would um, airplay my Instagram to the screen and just like watch my stories. And my mom would read every single caption out loud to my dad. And um, I actually remember that my earliest memory of this kind of thing is in high school, I had Twitter and that was like my main or my main social media that I would use. And my dad like set up this thing on his phone that every time I tweeted it, like texted it to him. <laughs> like honestly, as like a high school girl, it pissed me off so much. Like I remember we'd be, I'd be like in the living room and I would tweet something just random and I would like hear his phone ding and I'd be like, Dad, oh my God, you're stalking me. Yeah. Like I remember getting so annoyed with him about that. And he was like, I just want to hear everything you say. Aww. And it's that his stayed so true like through my you know through the end of his life it's just been he and my mom have always kept up with everything I've done on there and um so yeah and I remember like it was the first summer that we drove to Alaska and we had a pretty quick turnaround so we drove up there and um our whole point of like going up there at least in my mind was we wanted to go to Alaska and I really wanted to see another iceberg lake. I had seen my first one in Patagonia and just fallen in love with it. I loved the idea of like sitting in a lake by the mountains and there being ice in the lake and being able to like pick up the little icebergs was just the coolest thing ever. So um, when we drove to Alaska for the first time, one of the very first places we went was this iceberg lake that is like in this really remote town. It's like not where people usually go. It's really far away from Anchorage. Um, so you kind of like, it mostly makes sense to go if you drive. And we went to that lake and I remember it was July. So we got there at like 10 PM and it was still light outside. And 
it was raining a little bit and Callan was super exhausted from the drive, but I was just so excited. So I went out there and sat on this rock in the rain and I was so like excited and had so much energy, but everybody was asleep. It's like 10 PM in Alaska. And so, you know, it was really late in Texas and my dad used to stay up really late, just like, I don't know, checking, doing random things on his computer. And so I texted him and I was like, Hey, are you awake? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so I FaceTimed him and I, yeah, I guess it was like, I mean, middle of the night for him, but I FaceTimed him. He answered and he was just so excited with me. And oh. the thing is like, he doesn't give a crap about iceberg lakes. <laughs> like he doesn't care, but he was so excited that I was in a place that I loved so much. And I remember like I turned the phone around and was like showing him and I was like, look at these icebergs. And he would, he just really sweetly like looked at them for a little bit. And I started talking to him about something else that he kind of interrupted me. And he was like, could you just turn the camera back to your face? And it was just so sweet. Cause it was like, that's, that's what he wanted to see. Like he didn't care to see the icebergs. He cared to see me seeing those icebergs. And, um, that was the kind of dad he was. That was the relationship we had. And that story is really significant to me because it was actually less than a week before he was diagnosed with cancer. So to me, that was our last conversation before it all hit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, at the time I had no idea. He had no idea. We were just innocently thinking we had a lifetime ahead of ourselves to enjoy these moments. But about a week later, my brother called me and I actually was like on the way to shoot a session. And he was just like, Hey, like, it's really late, but I'm with dad. And he, you know, we, I have some news that's really bad. And he basically told me he has a brain tumor. It's terminal. There's not like, there's no chance for remission. We can, we have a few options we can do, but like at that time of the diagnosis, he was told like best case scenario, we had three to six more months with him it was wild. Like I, that was my first experience with receiving like really bad news out of Mm -hmm. the blue. And that was my first time learning that I'm really good at compartmentalizing. (laughs) So I like took that call. I hung up. Callan could tell something was wrong, but he was like, he was like, what, what is it? And I was like, dad is really sick. Um, we're going to talk about it after this session. And we Mm -hmm. had like, we had parked and the couple was in the parking lot. Like we had to go. We had another week in Alaska. Um, we had a wedding that we had to shoot that our friends kindly offered to cover for us. But my dad was like, he was so proud of what we were doing. And um, he really encouraged me to stay and finish out my jobs there before flying home. So I flew home in time for his first surgery. And we were thrown into what it's like to be a family with cancer. And um, it was horrible. I would never go back to that moment. But it was also this like really magical week with my family and with my brothers. And that was 2018. So almost five years ago now. And um, yeah, it was wild. I mean, it was, it was a lot. And basically, I mean, so for anyone that's not familiar with the story or anything, we ended up his surgery went really well. And we ended up having four more years with him that were totally unexpected three of those years were really great in the sense that we were able to still travel. He, he came to Alaska with my mom the following summer. Um, We had multiple family trips in Moab after that and just got to spend a lot more quality time together before kind of his last year was like really hard and just a 
I think most people that have gone through losing someone with cancer know it's not usually very sudden. And um, there's a lot of like anticipatory grief. (laughs) And then, and then one day they're gone. And and, um, it's surprisingly way harder than you expect, because you think, you know, you had four years to prepare, but nothing can prepare you for that. So he died um, last October. And now it's just been almost processing like how horrible it's all been. I feel like the weeks after he died, I kind of finally was able to just be like, wow, that's actually completely unfair that my dad is dead. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't, it was something about during the cancer time, I just kind of, you know, we were so focused on time together that Mm -hmm. I didn't even allow myself to really think about how sad it was that this was even happening. And I still now like find myself I'm 29 and I'll talk to someone that's like in their fifties and they'll refer to, you know, I went to dinner with my dad last night or like I was on the phone with my dad and I'll just be like, what the heck? Like people get to have their dad that long. Like I, you know, it's just so weird. I feel like I constantly have to remind myself how unusual this is yeah, and how much like it just sucks. But it's like, I think because we had so many years of anticipating it, I kind of, convinced myself it was normal and obviously we went through like the pandemic during all that too so that was a whole other thing (laughs) but yeah it's been a lot and then having Hyder so she was like 11 months old when he died yeah 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 so that was one of the interesting parts of it was um she's the first grandkid for my parents and I actually remember when he got diagnosed I had this moment of where I was like should we just have a kid while he's here like I it was just this moment in my mind of like I want him to have a grandkid so bad and at that time neither of my brothers were married um and so it was kind of like if he's gonna have a grandkid it's on me um and you know thankfully we had more time my older brother got married during the time that um, my dad was sick but he was able to be at the wedding and we have really sweet memories of that And, um, yeah, so I, you know, I ultimately decided like, I'm going to keep doing my life my way. And I, we kind of, none none of us had hope that he was going to get to meet a grandkid just because we weren't ready and all that. And then, um, you know, when the time came for us to have a baby or for us, you know, we kind of decided we were ready for that. I do remember just saying this little prayer of like, God, I hope that it happens in time for him to meet them and um yeah it was just such a sweet bonus that none of us could have expected he got to be here within you know 24 hours of Hyder being born he arrived in Moab with my brother Connor who drove him up and um that was a whole other thing because I ended up having that infection and it was just it was chaos my dad was really sick it was his last big trip and um it's really rough on all of us, but he did get to meet Hyder and, and then I got to take her back to Texas to hang out with him a few times in her first year. So we have a lot of really sweet memories of them together and, and really sweet photos. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a weird moment of like, when she was born, I remember all of us feeling this sense of relief, like, oh my gosh, like dad gets to meet a grandchild 
And then it was immediately followed by this sense of like, how sad it is that he doesn't get to witness her life. Like it was, it was so weird for all of us, how quickly that switched from realizing that a baby being born is not a finish line. It's the start. And, you know, that week that we all spent together as a family, right. When she was born, like we're all so excited for her life and also so aware that he's not going to get to be a part of it. And that was really hard. I think, you know, that whole first year, that was one of the things that was so hard was just knowing like that as sweet as it is, he got to meet her. She's not going to have memories with him. And, you know, he, the moment, the very first moment that I told my mom and dad that I was pregnant, um, my mom was just like speechless and so excited because no one expected it. And then I remember like the very first thing my dad said was how he couldn't wait to watch my mom be a grandma. And um, it's really sweet that he got to see that as much as he did, but also very hard that, you know, there's so much more that he's not seeing. Well, I feel like when you have a baby especially in those early days, especially the first few months, like so much of the joy of the baby is the promise of what they will become. You know, there's so Mm -hmm. much, there's so many like hopes and dreams and that you, that you heap onto this little child, you know, especially before they can talk, before they can express themselves, before you really know who they are. They're just like this little bundle of hopes and dreams that you have for them. Right. And so it is. And I I remember that feeling when my kids were little, it's like a big part of your relationship to them before they can communicate with you is what you hope for them. And so Mm -hmm. having him and granted, you know, she was older when he died, not old, but, you know, still a baby, but um, able to like, like her personality was coming out, you know, 11 months, like you, you have like a more of a personality that's that's being expressed but that just seems so bittersweet that like yes he meets this grandchild but won't be here to see what she becomes yeah exactly I feel like I hope that there's some way that he can see what's going on I have no idea how any of it works but yeah I definitely have this this feeling and this desire that maybe somehow he's getting to tune in a little bit and yeah and see what we're we've got going on because he would be so excited and he would love seeing who she is now and I think especially you know kind of like with the iceberg story where he just wanted to watch me I think he would just absolutely love seeing me as a mom and see how that developed so I hope he can (laughs) who knows (laughs) I heard one time and I'm not going to get this right at all but something to the effect of energy all the energy in the universe like doesn't go away it just changes and so yeah energy that is our soul can't go away and I don't know this sounds a little woo-woo but I like to believe it that that our that our energy from our soul like goes into other things and it doesn't just like disappear you know so I don't know I like to think about that like you know maybe he's in the rocks in Utah and in in the trees and you know just in nature and in the wind and like that he's there like getting to experience her I just think that's like because I don't know I'm pretty agnostic and I don't know uh 
yeah what the greater power is but I feel like maybe that might be it like just our energy is like dispersing through the universe and being here in some form just not in the form that they were in when we were alive <laughs> totally on being moms. So one thing that I think that we have in common is wanting to get our kids outside of nature and and integrating them into the things that we loved before becoming parents. And yours is so outsized, like I can hardly wrap my mind around it, like the things that you guys do out in nature. But for us, <laughs> it's it's camping um, primarily. And like what my husband, Corey, and I used to do before we had kids is, you know, we traveled quite a bit and we really liked taking road trips and camping. And we had a, we had a pole behind trailer. And then that was like too, too big, too much for our purposes for the, just the two of us and our dogs. So what we ended up doing was converting the back of our uh, truck into a, a bed and just camping in that. And, and then I found out I was so pregnant. Fun. I was like, shoot, <laughs> you know, it'd be great to have that camper back because now we're going to have two more kids to add to the mix. But um, the first couple years for us, it was just like too hard to even think about camping with two infants. And so we oh, did it. We, yeah, we were just like, it's not going to happen. So so we didn't at all for two years. And it was like, a, it felt like a big part of us was missing because that was a big part of mine and Corey's relationship before becoming parents. Like that's how we connected was like going on planning and going on these road trips and camping trips and taking our dogs and um, being out in nature and, you know, just, just soaking it up that, you know, we, we weren't people who like traveled to cities to escape you know we we traveled to utah to new mexico colorado when that was gone when the kids were were younger than two it was really challenging honestly and like it was it was a challenge in our relationship too because we were missing this big piece of like who we were together so we um just a few weeks ago got a pop-up camper we felt like that was a good medium you know not like the full pull behind yeah, but also not in the bed of the truck. And so so we got that and took the kids on their first camping trip, like somewhere close by, just in case shit hit the fan and we needed to like haul ass back home. But it went really <laughs> totally. well. And they both like just That's it's like so they just awesome. they took to it immediately. And I was particularly worried about my daughter because she really loves sitting in her chair and watching her TV shows and she gets under her blanket and she goes mm, cozy and she just loves being <laughs> cozy and like she's perfectly content so I was like okay how is this little you know couch potato gonna do with like you know sleeping in a camper but then also not like being out and like just having to you know have fun with where we were and not having access to like her TV and her toys and stuff and it went really well and it was just like such a relief right. because it was like, this is who we are and this is what we want to show our kids and we want to get them in the outdoors and teach them to develop their own relationship with nature and the outdoors. And I know that's something that obviously you guys do with Hyder. So what is like, what's it been like going from you and Callan, you know, going on your own exploration with work for your for your photography business, but also like you guys just do that as yeah. part of who you are. And then now integrating this little human. For one, I wish that more people 
understood that sometimes that's easier with kids outside than it is inside. Like mm. I feel sometimes I'll talk to people and they're just like, Oh my gosh, like, I can't believe, you know, how much you do. Like, I wish I had, I, you know, I can barely like keep my kids entertained at home. So I can't even imagine like taking them on a hike or something. And I'm just like, it is literally easier to be like to parent Hyder and entertain her outside than it is mm -hmm. in our house. Like I would lose my mind if I had to stay inside with her all day, every day. And <laughs> so I feel like a lot of people get to where they're like cruxing inside with their kids. So they're like, there's no way we can go outdoors. And it's just like, even as simple as I think most parents have noticed that it's so much easier if you take your kid to a park to like play on the playground for an hour than mm -hmm. if you just stay at home. And mm -hmm. to us, that's kind of similar to, you know, we're really comfortable in a lot of these places, you know, out in the desert. And so for us, it is easier to like take her to a trailhead. And I also feel like I always have to clarify, even though I don't on social media, I don't like lie about what we're doing. People just always assume it's so much more mega than it is. And it's like, honestly, with Hyder, we're usually driving to a trailhead and hanging out within like a hundred feet of the car. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, we are very fortunate to live in Moab, Utah, where that is super epic. Like our backyard is gorgeous. And so you see like from the yard, it's really beautiful views. It can look like we're way out in the middle of nowhere when we're literally in our driveway. And I just feel like we have so much fun taking her into these places and, and doing that, but it also can be really easy as simple as just like going into the backyard and letting her stack rocks or the other day she was just like losing it inside. And I was like, dude, we have to do something about this. And so I just like filled up this mixing bowl with water and we went outside and put like rocks and grass in the water. And I was like, mm -hmm. I remember doing this as a child and yes. she thought it was the coolest thing in the whole world. <laughs> And um, so I feel like there's just so many little things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely really changed what we can do. And I think like one example is um, there's this glacier in Alaska that we like to go on a lot. And a couple of years ago, the year before I got pregnant, um, we were able to go out and like do this really cool adventure where we hiked kind of back to the like that country part of the glacier so like from the tongue up up glacier and there was this canyon and we like inflated our pack rafts and floated through the canyon and then like deflated the rafts and hiked out and it was like a really exhausting day and really fun and I kind of always think of that as like one of my, my best days of my whole life because it was just super fun adventure and like I don't know it felt like this culmination of all these skills that we've worked to develop and these things that we've worked really hard to get comfortable doing and it was super fun and at the same time while we could technically bring Hyder and do that mission again it would be so effed up to do with a child <laughs> um and so it is hard because it's like you know now that we have her we there there are limitations and there's things that we're just not going to go do with yeah. her even though we do a lot with her, it's just like, I'm not going to go do this really committing thing on the glacier where if clouds come out and it gets freezing cold, she's going to be miserable yeah. for hours until we get back to the car, you know, and just there's so many little things like that, that we no longer do long, really long hikes in Moab, you know, challenging things where we have to go up, like scrambling up rocks or something. It's just not really in the cards for us right now with her. And so we have slowly started now 
like having our babysitter come so that we can go do some of those missions together. We've done like two or three of those since she's been born, but it's always really fun and life-giving to both of us to be able to kind of go out and do the thing that we used to do together before she was born. You know, things that don't take all the planning and all the making sure it's going to be like really comfortable for her the whole time. But we also just accept like, this is a season that we're in. And Mm -hmm. I think we had the benefit of, you know, not having children really young. We got to live so much wonderful life together before we had her and have so many fun adventures and do so many cool things that we're not as affected by what we're missing out on right now because we just had so much fun before. And we also feel very confident that we're going to have fun again, you know, (laughs) and, um, maintain that perspective of like, this yeah. is the season, things will change again. Exactly. Like we haven't given up anything, you know, by having her, I mean, obviously we have given up some things, but we haven't like kissed our lives goodbye or anything crazy like that, which so many people like to tell, you know, when we were doing all those things, they'd always be like, Oh, do it before you have kids. And it's like, I don't know, like, I think we can keep doing stuff. And we're having a lot of fun with our kid right now. And Um, you know, one of the things that's just super important to us is like you were saying with taking your kids camping and seeing how fun it is, like the outdoors is a family value for us. And it's something Mm -hmm. that is really important. So we're always going to incorporate that into things that we do as a family, but we also always want to make sure she has a positive association with it, especially at this young age. So like we go on low key hikes with her, we make it easy. We plan ahead. Um, we really try not to like struggle or epic or you know have a rough time when she's with us and a lot of that is like planning and really really undershooting what you're capable of and never pushing the limits and never going farther you know and right all of that adjusting your expectations of what's possible with the child (laughs) exactly exactly because yeah for her to like go on a three mile hike is a big freaking deal Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, in the backpack, even it's, that's a lot for her to do. And so that's where our goals are right now. Um, yeah. When it comes to adventure with her. And I feel like it's just, yeah, we've just accepted like, that's the life we're in right now. And I feel like by accepting that we really enjoy doing the things with her that we do. It doesn't right. feel like we're having to miss like, out. I don't know, hold ourselves back a ton. Yeah. yeah. We're still having fun. That's the whole point. So I want to switch gears a little bit. So for people who don't know, Abby and Callan have the Hearns, which is your Instagram account for your photography business. And then you have your account and you have a big following on both of those. And the Hearns one is focused on adventure photography. And then your account is focused is more a mix of lots of different things that all kind of make up who you are. And I know we talked a while ago about putting yourself out there creatively and like experimenting with lots of different things and how you did that and ultimately, you know, landed on adventure photography and like that's your niche and that's that's where everything led you. I feel like I am still very much in the space of like trying lots of different things like for example, podcasting mm-hmm. and I've always kind of been that way like I have lots of different creative pursuits. I don't know, I might be a little bit ADHD and don't know that for a fact, but, you know, I kind of like 
really put myself into something and then kind of see something shiny. I'm like, oh, I wonder what that's all about. And like, try that. For me, like a constant has been photography, though I've pulled back a lot since having my kids. But I didn't know until you shared that recently that you like tried all these different creative pursuits and like put yourself out there creatively in other things aside from photography. And and we were talking about how, you know, looking back on some of that stuff now that we've tried in the past is kind of cringy. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Like that was, you know, looking back now, I'm kind of embarrassed that I like put that out there. But I want to hear kind of your thoughts on putting yourself out there creatively and like being willing to be perceived as cringy, making people cringe potentially with the things that you're doing mm-hmm. and and why that's why that's worth it. People are always surprised by this because of my like Instagram presence, but I have a lot of social anxiety. Like I especially when I was younger and when I was starting all of this stuff, like in my early 20s, I was very concerned about what people thought of me and very protective of being perceived as a failure. And Mm -hmm. that was something that I really had to overcome. And I feel like, you know, looking back on it, I'm so proud of myself for trying all of these things and just putting myself out there because it has resulted in a life that I couldn't have even imagined when I started. And so I really think it's okay to be embarrassed or worried about what people are going to think of you or yeah, worried about being cringy when you're putting something out there, trying a new thing. That's all like really valid and normal to feel, but to allow that fear to actually hold you back from what could end up being like your dream thing, your dream job, your dream creative pursuit, your dream hobby, or even just a fun thing to try. I just feel like the cost of what you're potentially losing by protecting yourself from other people just judging you is so, so not worth it. I, especially because the people that are going to judge you, their opinions don't matter. Like if someone is the kind of person that's going to sit at home and just like be judging you for trying something or be like, who does she think she is podcasting Mm -hmm. or being a photographer or whatever, (laughs) like, that's already someone who their mindset just is not worth listening to. And so I feel like my thing when I'm talking to people that are like in that position of they want to try a bunch, they want to try something new, but they don't know how to get out there is always just like, it's okay that you're scared. It's okay to like, be worried about what other people are going to think about you. But also you owe yourself just going for it, despite all of that, because it thinking of if I had been too worried to declare myself a photographer and start booking sessions my senior year of college. And if I, you know, had been like my roommate in college was a more serious photographer than me when I started. Like she had the camera and the lenses and she had been doing sessions. And so in my mind I was like, I don't know if I can be a photographer because like she's a photographer, you know, and yeah. she's like more qualified than I am. And I had a friend that had like a more successful photography business when I started. And, you know, I had so many reasons to believe like there wasn't a place for me there. But I also just had this feeling of like there's a couple people that have paid me so far. What if people keep paying me? How would I try this out? And, you know, I wasn't I wasn't 100% confident. I didn't have everything figured out. I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have like a long-term goal or any of that. I just went I just went for it and I'm so glad I did cuz I literally don't know where we would be in our lives right now if I had just listened to like the internal voices and then in my case I had external voices telling me 
that photography was not a viable job, that I was throwing away my degree by not applying for a job within my degree field. And, um, you know, I just ignored all of it and went for it. And I'm so glad I did. And it's like, there were so many moments of cringe and so many moments of me like positioning myself as if I was this expert in something that I wasn't because that was like how I started booking sessions, you know, and all of those things. And there's certainly even things that I did that I think back and I'm like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it that way with what I know now. But there was no way for me to know that without just going for it and doing it. And I feel like, especially, you know, something client based like photography, the thing I can cling to is that every client I had was happy. And whether Mm -hmm. it was the first family session I ever did for $50, they were super happy with their photos and with what they paid for it all the way up to now with our prices that most people look at them and scoff. Every single one of our clients happily pays that price and is so happy with what they received in exchange for it. Mm -hmm. And that's like, in the end, that's the only thing that matters. It really doesn't matter what other people say. I mean, in internet days, you know, there's a lot of opinions and I've had plenty of people say like people only book us because of our Instagram presence or say that our photos are a lot of money. That's a lot of money to pay just to be featured on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I know. I'm like, wow, that's bold. Um, but yeah, I mean, people say our photos are only good because of the places we shoot or whatever, like there's all kinds of criticism and it's just like, you know what? The people who are working with me, yeah, exactly. Like our clients are happy. They love what they are receiving in exchange for what they are paying. And that is how you run a business. (laughs) And like, that's in the end, the only thing that matters about it. (laughs) How did you know that this was your thing? Like of all the things that you tried, how did you know that like this was the thing that you're going to take and run with? I mean, it really was just the one that I really loved doing. And so it's my thing until I stop loving it. And um, so far, I still really love it. But I also, you know, like, there's this part of me that people are always like, do you how did you know that photography is your like lifelong career? And it's like, I don't know that who knows what I'm going to be doing in 10 years, it could be photography. And I hope it is because I really love it. But also, I feel like that's just really unfair pressure on myself 10 years from now. Like, yeah. I really like photography right now and it's working for me right now. So that's what I'm doing. And, you know, I think it's okay to do different things and to hold whatever you are doing loosely, because especially with something that is client based, like photography, I don't want to be doing it out of obligation and I don't want to be forcing myself to do it. So yeah. I'm going to do it as long as I'm passionate about it. But if it becomes something that I'm just like doing because I have to for money, then I think I need to figure something else out because my clients deserve better than that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I've felt that too with photography. I, and I check in with myself on that. I'm like, am I just doing this like for the paycheck or am I doing this because I know the value that this offers to my clients? Because, you know, they're, right. they're big milestone photo. I mean, it's things that are really important to people. And so if you're, um, you know, just, to the point where you're just doing it to get paid or just doing it because it's what you've been doing. Like you said, that's not fair to the people who you're serving with your service. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Real quick, we're going to, we're going to wrap up and just do some Q and a questions. Okay. What, what is your favorite thing about yourself? 
right now in my life, my favorite thing about myself is I, I really like who I am and what I'm doing. And I am confident enough in myself that I feel like I'm not as worried about what other people think or what other people are doing with their own thing. Cause I'm just pretty dang satisfied with what's going on here. And I feel like that's as someone that wasn't always able to say that about my life, I'm really happy to be in that place right now. What's something that you appreciate in other people? Something I always appreciate in other people is honestly what I just said, but when I can notice it in other people, mm-hmm. <laughs> like when I can just tell they're like happy with what they're doing and confident in themselves and not feeling like they have to put on a show or feeling like they have to, you know, position as a certain thing or a certain type of person. I feel like I can just tell when people are being themselves. And I always really admire that. What is a a favorite book of yours or a good book that you've read recently? I just finished the book Happiest Toddler on the Block and it totally changed my life. I feel like it's really good. It's about like, it's, it's for parents of kids one to four and, um, cannot recommend it enough. It just is so logical and it explains like why kids have tantrums, why they feel certain things, why they act in certain ways, and um, basically gives you like really tangible steps to prevent the trouble experiences with your kid, but also like how to respond when behaviors are bad. Um, But yeah, I just love it. I mean, it boiled down so much to just like paying attention to your kid, giving them your time and helping it like understanding what they need and then making sure they know that you understand what they need like Mm -hmm. that's the really basic (laughs) summary of the whole book but it gives so many tangible things to do and I feel like every I've been like reading it after she goes to bed every night and I'm literally sitting there being like I can't wait for Heidi to wake up in the morning because I understand (laughs) how to talk to her a little bit better now I'm gonna try these Um, new things out on her yeah I love asking that question because I get so many (laughs) good book recommendations that then I add to my own. Sweet. I'm going to go pick up that one next. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, Abby, thank you so much for, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Um, I know (laughs) amid like busy schedules and every, and you know, toddler shenanigans and everything, it's not always easy to find the time. So I just want to say thank you and totally keep doing what you're doing online. I love it. I, I admire you and look up to you, even though you're younger than me. I just think you guys are living a really admirable life that's, you know, not without struggle and and sad times. And, you know, like I know you've said, like, it's been a hell of a year for you, but you are still doing like so many amazing things and inspiring other people amid all of the shit that you've been going through. And so I just love having your presence online to make it more of like, not only a positive space, but a productive space, you know, something we didn't talk about, but I think is really important are the things that you speak out about that you're passionate about, you know, politically and socially. And you always have really great things to say on on those things too. So I just appreciate your, you showing up and sharing yourself and your life with us. Thank you so much. This is really fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at 
Morgan Barrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.